Will you pray with me? And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's really good to be with you this morning. I am excited to continue the series we're doing on the speeches in Acts. Uh, So as you might have guessed, we're going to be in Acts 3 this morning. If you would like to turn there, it's page 911 in the Bibles in your seats. 911. As you're turning there, I would like to start with a question. And I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you several seconds to think about it, so be ready for the silence. I just wanted to, to prepare us for that. Okay, we're going to take a moment. Here's the question. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? What do you long for? Got it? Okay, so I imagine for many of us, something came to mind pretty quickly. Uh, Whether it's a big thing or a small thing, I know that obviously we hope for all different kinds of things. Um, The right job, the right relationships, uh, a family. Uh, We hope to be well taken care of. We hope to be loved. Maybe there are some of us in this room who struggled to think of what we're hoping for. We can, you know, for instance, we can get so bogged down by the minutia of day-to-day existence that we don't have time to hope for anything, um, or there's so many people or things trying to get our attention and our time that we just, we can't take a second for ourselves and, and just try to figure out what it is that we're hoping for. We're just trying to get through the day. Um, or maybe you know what you're hoping for. Uh, but you've been hoping for a really, really long time for something that now seems impossible. Maybe you've been disappointed over and over again, and you're scared to hope anymore. Maybe you've given up hope entirely. In Acts chapter 3, there was a man who sat at the gate of the temple, and he couldn't walk. And every day he'd be carried out by some folks and sat down at the beautiful gate, it was called. And he begged for money. And his whole day was sitting at the gate, trying to make enough money so that he could have the strength to come back out and sit at the gate. That was his day to day. And the author of Acts doesn't tell us how long he'd been doing this, but the story does say it's not a new thing. Right? The people were used to seeing him there, probably to the point that they didn't see him anymore. Right? He had just become part of the landscape. And if you this morning are one of those people that I just described, you're disappointed, you're scared to hope, you've given up hope, you don't think you deserve to hope, maybe. If you're one of those people, I think that this man could sympathize with you. I think it's safe to say he had probably given up on walking. And he was just trying to get through the day. But this man has good news to tell you today. Because on a day like any other, as everybody passed him by without even looking at him, Peter and John looked at him. Right? 
Luke makes a really big deal out of that. They directed their gaze at him and they said, look at us. And they gave him through Jesus so much more than he would have ever dared to hope for. I have no silver and gold. Forget about that. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So much more than this man could ever ask or imagine, right? And and what I want you to know this morning is this. The same God who did that is living and active today. And he is still doing these kinds of things. And you can be a part of it. That's what Peter's going to tell us in this speech today. Who that God is what he's working towards, and how you can be a part of it. Okay, so let's, let, let's take a look at it, starting in verse 12. Thinking about that first question, who is the one responsible for healing this man? Okay, now the answer is obvious, right? Uh, Jesus. Um, let's take a look at how Peter actually starts off this sermon, though. Speech, sermon, same thing. Uh, how he starts it off, because it's, it's a little surprising. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. So he starts off by saying, it wasn't us. Obviously, we know that. We know that Peter and John weren't the ones who really did this. So who did? Verse 13. It was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Okay, so it was Jesus. Peter is going to say so in just the very next sentence, okay? So you're not wrong if you thought the Sunday school answer. But more specifically, it's the God who was at work through Jesus and is still at work through him. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors. Okay, now this is probably not the way that you and I most often refer to God these days, probably. But uh, this phrase would have really meant something to Peter's listeners, Okay, remember, Peter's in the temple. He is speaking to Jews. And they would have understood that this phrase, this name, is a quotation and a famous one. Okay, I'm going to read it for us again. We just read it. I'm not going to read that whole passage, but it's Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So why does that matter? What is the point of Peter quoting that name? It's this. That story is the moment when God calls Moses at the burning bush and tells him to go back from the desert into Egypt and to lead his people out of slavery and into freedom. And the name is important because it shows Moses that this is not just some strange experience he's having. He's not crazy. This really is Israel's God speaking. Abraham's God, the God who made promises to Abraham and is now going to make those promises come true. And Peter, when he quotes this passage, is saying to this audience, it's happening again. 
It's happening again. It's coming true. Our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is, a, is, is acting in a powerful and dramatic way to fulfill his promises, to rescue his people. And I mean, just, just think for a second about what, everything that happens in the Exodus account and what happens in the life of Jesus and how he is doing what Moses did, but in a, in a truer and better way. Right, so in Jesus, our Passover lamb is sacrificed once for all upon the cross. In baptism, he's leading us through the waters of the Red Sea out of death and into life. He's giving us a new law, a better law that says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a law that says, turn the other cheek, uh, a law that says, you don't have to be content with trying to just get through the day, come to me and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And when you see this Jesus, when you see what happens through his name, you ought to get the feeling that you're standing at the burning bush, seeing with your own eyes that the creator God is living and active and keeping his promises once again in Jesus, through Jesus. He is leading us out of slavery and into freedom, out of death and into life, out of hopelessness and into a sure and certain hope. And as he goes on, Peter gives us more. Um, Jesus is not only a new and better Moses. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. He calls Jesus the servant of God the holy and righteous one, pointing us to another one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah 52 and 53, where God says through Isaiah, and you know this passage, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And a little further on, here's the famous part. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is that servant. He is the righteous servant of God, totally holy and completely innocent of the crimes that he was accused of. He is the one who died for the sins of the many, even though he's the author of life. The other uh, title that Peter quotes in, in verse 15. And, and, and the author of life, that brings us back to several places in the Old Testament as well. It means Jesus is the word who breathed life into Adam and Eve in the garden. He is the one who restores dry bones in the book of Ezekiel into living and breathing flesh. It all points to him. And Peter says in verse 24, all the prophets who have spoken were talking about Jesus. So that means, and I'm about to throw a lot at you right now. Don't try to look these up. Just take it in, okay? That means that when God said to Abraham, I will give you a son and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed, he's talking about Jesus. 
When Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, a verse that Peter himself quotes in this speech. When he said that, he was talking about Jesus. When God told David in the book of 2 Samuel, I will raise up your offspring after you and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He wasn't ultimately talking about Solomon. He was talking about Jesus. In the book of Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I have called my son, We saw in the book of Matthew that Jesus is that true Israel. When Isaiah, in another part of the book, prophesied, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who's gonna do that. In the book of Daniel, the son of man who comes with the clouds of heaven and is given authority, glory, and sovereign power, that's Jesus. When Job said, I know that my redeemer lives, that redeemer is Jesus. First second, First Samuel 2, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. That priest is Jesus, Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. He is going to use Jesus to establish that new covenant. You will hear it in just a few moments on the night that he was betrayed, right? This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. He's the true servant of God. He's the true Adam. He's the true Moses. He's the true Israel. He's the true king. He's the true prophet. He's the true priest. Here's why that matters. Peter is saying to this Jewish audience who knew the scriptures, y'all have been waiting for these prophecies to come true. You've been waiting to be rescued and you might be tired of waiting, but I have good news. From the creation of the world, through the entire history of Israel, our God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has been working to fulfill his promises through Jesus. And he did it so that this man might be healed. Not so that you could gain political independence from the Romans. He did it so that he can give this lame beggar so much more than he ever thought to ask for. Verse 16, perfect health, wholeness, shalom in the Hebrew. And the good news that this man has for you today is that the same God through that same son wants to give you that too. He wants to give you more than you could ever ask for or imagine, more than you could ever dare to hope for. He wants to make you whole. That's who he is. That's who this God is. So that hints uh, at the answer to our next question. What is he working toward? What's all this about? The answer to watch for when you read this speech is in verse 21, or really uh, starting at the end of verse 20. This God will send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Restoring all things. That's what he's working toward. And it has begun, right? This this is not the only place we hear about this. Uh, It's all over the Old and New Testaments. 
the early Christians, the biblical authors, had a wide variety of expressions uh, for this same concept. So Paul said, for instance, in the book of Ephesians, that God would sum up all things in Christ. Paul said that through Christ, God would reconcile all things to himself, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. Uh, Second Peter talks about we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, right? And we see that, that same phrase, uh, that, that same idea stated most beautifully, in my opinion, in that famous passage from Revelation 21, where John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and he himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. He is making all things new. One lame beggar at a time. That is why he came. Everything that has been touched by sin, by death, by the evil one, Jesus will make right across the cosmos, across the earth, across the nation, every neighborhood, down to the individual level. And so if you are disappointed this morning, or you are frustrated, or you are waiting, or hopeless, or overwhelmed by the destruction, or the evil, or the pain that you see going on in this world, hear the good news. Jesus is coming to restore all things. And he will not fail because he's been raised from the dead. What God promised to do for the whole of creation, he has already done for Jesus. He has begun that great work of restoring all things, starting with his own son. And one day heaven and earth will come together and the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world will rule from the throne and dwell with us forever. No more tears, no more pain, no more disappointment, no more death. All will be well. And you can be a part of it. You can be a part of what God is doing on this earth. You can share in that inheritance that Jesus is leading his people to, that, that promised land. So go back to our Exodus imagery. The way to be a part of it, Peter says, is repentance and faith. Verse 19, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You know, sometimes we think of repenting as a one-time thing. Uh, like repenting is that thing you do when you come to know Jesus. Um, and you certainly do that when you come to know Jesus. Peter seems to be using it in that context here. Um, and if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I invite you to do that. I invite you to repent. He wants to know you. He wants to make you whole. For those of us who do know Jesus in this room, let me remind us 
that repentance is something that we do all the time. Martin Luther wrote once that when Jesus told people to repent, he meant that the entire life of the believer should be one of repentance. We repent every day, every hour, every minute. To be a Christian means, among other things, to turn away from those things that will kill us, those things that bring destruction and death, those things that the Bible calls sin, and to turn to the author of life, the one who came to give us life and life abundant. And so I invite you to repent. Repent from your sins and and turn to the holy and righteous one. Repent from your desire to have control over every little thing and turn to the servant who came and gave his life up for you. Repent from your hopelessness or for hoping in the wrong things and turn to the one who is our hope, the one who will make all things new. Repent and have faith. Verse 16 And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So we've we've talked before, um, a little bit earlier this year, uh, if you were here, we did a sermon series on the book of Habakkuk. We talked about... (laughs) that famous verse, the righteous shall live by faith and what it means to have faith. We talked about Abraham. And basically, we got to, it's trusting in the promises of God, right? And and there is a lived element of faith. We stake our lives on the fact that God is trustworthy. So have faith in the name of Jesus. Stake your life on his promises. Stake your life on the name that heals the lame and the the name that makes the blind to see and the name that gives the barren woman a home full of children. The name that sets the captives free and breaks down dividing walls between people and wipes every tear from our eyes. The name that will swallow up death forever. Have faith in him. He is trustworthy. He is working. He will not fail. He's already started it in his resurrection. And he started it with this lame beggar and with every, every, every other thing that happens in the book of Acts. It's starting. It's happening again. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is working through his son Jesus to make all things new and you can be a part of it. Repent, turn to him, and have faith. Would you pray with me? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the God who is gracious enough to let us call you our Father, we ask you to give us true repentance, turn us from all those things that we choose instead of you, uh, all those things that we trust instead of you, we ask, us, we ask you to give us faith in your son. He is trustworthy. Help us to believe it. Help us to lift each other up and to believe for each other when we are having difficulty with that. And uh, when life starts swinging at us and it doesn't stop, we ask you to bring those times of refreshing that Peter mentions in the speech. 
in worship, in coming together at your table, in reading your word, uh, in prayer, in spending time with one another as your body. Give us a taste of the renewal of all things. Keep us, sustain us, give us hope because you're trustworthy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.